0: Close on the heels of the anniversary of Roe v. Wade this past Friday, I'd like to take this opportunity to give a pro-life homily. Now, there are many factors that strongly influence any woman when she makes the unfortunate decision to have an abortion. There is the breakdown of the family in general, irresponsible and absentee fathers, Lack of adequate prenatal care, health care issues, poor education, poverty, and a host of other economic problems. An authentically robust pro-life stance advocates for positive change in all of these areas. But the pro-life movement also seeks to change our nation's current laws. A nation's laws reflect its values, and play a formative and educational role in the life of its citizens. People readily believe that what is legal is also moral. Thus, it's important to make sure our laws are not in violation of what is truly moral. It is therefore important for the pro-life Christian to be involved in politics and to change laws. Now, there's really a ton that could be said on this topic, and you'll hear future pro-life homilies from me that address other aspects of this question, such as the ones I just enumerated having to do with health care and education and whatnot. You'll also hear a homily or two from me about how God, in his great mercy, is ready and willing to forgive anybody who has been involved in the procurement of an abortion. Today, though, I want to address just one issue. One issue out of many, but a very important one. I want to address a false perception that is extremely prevalent. This false perception is as follows. The pro-life movement is an illegitimate encroachment of religion into the public square. It's an attempt to impose religious beliefs on others who don't share those beliefs. This is a very widespread perception, and it's false, and it needs to be addressed head-on. No pro-life Christian should ever be ashamed to say that they got their pro-life stance from their religion. For instance, we hear in our gospel today that Jesus has come to bring glad tidings to the poor, And to let the oppressed go free. So it's true that when we learn about things like social justice from our religion, and it's true that our religion impels us to go out into the public square to fight for human rights. Nevertheless, this is not an unjust imposition of our religious beliefs on others. It doesn't matter where a person learns his morality. It just matters whether that morality is true. Truth is truth. It would be ridiculous to say, well, Mary Smith learned about compassion and mercy in Sunday school, so she she shouldn't be getting political about such things. Mike Jones, on the other hand, because he learned about compassion and mercy from his atheist parents, that gives him the right to advocate for such things in the public square. Pro-life Christians are perfectly justified in getting political about their beliefs because they have common sense and reason on their side. Now, pro-life Christians would be thrilled if everyone came to believe in Jesus. But that's not what they're fighting for. They're not trying to convert their fellow Americans to Christianity. They're trying to simply get them to recognize basic ethical truths that are evident to everyone's common sense. It's simple. Just because the fetus doesn't look exactly like us, who are living outside of our mother's wombs, we're not justified in concluding that the fetus is not a human being. There is no clear dividing line in embryonic and fetal development separating something that's not a human being from something that is a human being. There is a perfect gradation resulting in you and I, and I think we're human beings. And if all human beings have a right to life, so also does the human being who still happens to be in his mother's womb. It's not like the fetus becomes a human being only when it's born, as though becoming visible or moving outside the womb makes a difference. This is absurd. How can your status as a human being depend on whether you can be seen or not, or on your location? And it doesn't make sense to say that the fetus becomes a human being when it becomes viable, that is, when it can survive outside its mother's womb. This is the error that Roe v. Wade actually made back in 1973. Now, the technology for keeping a baby alive outside its mother's womb has advanced greatly in recent times. It's now possible to keep babies alive outside the womb as early as 20 weeks. We couldn't do this just only 60 years ago. So are we to say that 20-week-year-old fetuses can now be considered human beings, but that in the 50s they were not human beings? Does our status as human beings depend on our technology? There's also a more subtle pro-choice position, uh, and this is usually espoused by professional academics and and, uh, university professors. This position admits that the fetus is a human being, but makes an all too subtle distinction between one's status as a human being and one's status as a human person with human rights. The fetus is a human being, they say, but it's not a human person. Human beings don't acquire personhood until they can consciously attribute to their own existence a certain kind of value. And because fetuses can't do this, they may be human beings, but they're not human persons and they have no rights. This is nonsense children up to their third or fourth year of life when it qualifies human persons on this account. This is nothing less than advocating for infanticide. The final pro-choice stance goes as follows. Well, I personally think abortion is wrong, but I wouldn't want to impose my opinion on others and get political about it. Well, Let's take this seemingly reasonable statement and substitute... Killing innocent black people for abortion. How would this sound? I personally think killing innocent black people is wrong, but I wouldn't want to impose my opinion on others and get political about it. This is obviously ridiculous. No one feels any qualms about getting political in the defense of human rights, of human beings, of a different skin color. So why should we have misgivings about getting political in the defense of human beings who are simply at a different point in their natural development. Now, the good news is that there is real hope for change in this arena. We can really hope to change things. Look for example at the well-known atheist, Christopher Hitchens. Before his death, he began to admit that the pro-life position was reasonable and probably true. And he said this explicitly as someone who was non-religious, even anti-religious. So it's possible to change even the hardest of hearts on this issue by simply appealing to reason. There's also a movement out there right now called pro-life humanists. This is a group of people who are humanists, agnostics, even atheists. They have no religious beliefs whatsoever, but they're pro-life. And this is what they say on their website. Quote, We oppose discrimination against biological humans on the grounds of what they look like and how they function. And we believe that abortion should be rejected on the same ground as racism, sexism, and ableism, which place greater importance on what the human entity does and looks like than on what the entity in question actually is. Unquote. Now that's something to which a pro-life Christian can say a resounding amen. Today we look back at the civil rights era and we see black separatism as obviously unjust. It's a universal sentiment and belief out there. We regard the civil rights activists of that era as people with common sense and moral courage. And we regard the people who oppose the civil rights movement as basically villains. This is a universal sentiment amongst Americans today. So also there can come a day when we look back and see abortion as obviously unjust and those who work to abolish it as people of common sense and moral courage. May pro-life Christians never stop fighting in the political arena for the rights of those human beings who are still in their mother's wombs.